We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. Monday, September 25th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and to my east is Mr. Bill, and to my north is David Dahl. My producer, septent of him, is Miss Terry. For everyone else, whatever your cardinal point on the compass, 602-508-0960. The first three stories... I read in the papers today, one from the Wall Street Journal, two from the Washington Post, got me thinking about a few things that I think underlie a lot of what a lot of us feel and think, but is perhaps difficult to articulate. You know, I sometimes say here and worry that we are all becoming, or too many are becoming a little numb, if not a little dead, to things that should matter a great deal. The causes, sometimes it's the metaphor of the boiling frog, sometimes it's information overload, overload, overload that we can't properly process. Sometimes it's the state of freneticism we are put in from the crisis industrial complex. But it's an irony of our times that if we seem a bit numb as a nation to things that should have us energized and then again energized about things that are not that big of a deal, a misprioritization, a disorientation of emotions and thoughts, what is it exactly causing this and how are both things true? How are we at once anxious and at once numb? Sometimes we ask how people are not outraged at, say, the news that there are seven to 10,000 illegal border crossings taking place every day, with border towns like El Paso at literal breaking points. Sometimes we may ask this about the fact that 300 people are dying a day from drug poisonings. Sometimes it might be about a president that simply cannot hold a one-on-one conversation with someone without reading a note card or keep straight the difference between a gala gala for the Hispanic Congressional Caucus or the Congressional Black Caucus, or tell the truth about everything ranging from the critical to the frivolous. That's a numbness. Sometimes we ask how people get so energized about other things that really do require a much lighter touch. COVID, COVID was one big hysteria of overreaction that we could spend infinite hours discussing. We can do Supreme Court decisions, and we can do curriculum changes as well. Some of this is about shifts of power, as in the schools and curriculum fights where power sharing and alternative viewpoints were deemed intrusive and intolerable when they should have been the calm dispositions of regular democratic order. Sometimes the outrages and the apathies are over the same thing. How are not more people angry over what is being asked to be done with children regarding gender or sex changings and transitionings? Or why are some so angry about them, often for the wrong reasons? During the Trump years, some thought what he was doing was no big deal. Others were in daily meltdown or triggered. But hold that thought because we have that today. It's just underreported regarding Joe Biden. And I'll get to that in a moment. In psychology, individuals can have what is known as bipolar disorder, or what used to be called manic depression. This can be described at an individual level this way. People who live with bipolar disorder experience periods of great excitement over activity, delusions, and euphoria. That's the mania part. 
and other periods of feeling sad and hopeless known as the depression part, thus the use of the word bipolar reflecting this fluctuation between extreme highs and extreme lows. It seems there's a societal effect taking place regarding this just now. So my three stories. First, the Wall Street Journal. A recent federal survey reports a record high, 27% of respondents having symptoms of an anxiety disorder, up from 8% in 2019. At the same time, youth emergency room visits for mental health have gone up significantly. Nearly 30% of American adults are reporting anxiety. But it made me curious about the depression part, the other side of that whole. The answer to that is 18%, another record high. Now, you will recall all the turbulence of the Trump years, or at least all the purported turbulence or the turbulence we were supposed to feel. You know, the abnormality, the breaking of norms, the kind of things comedians and liberal commentators tried to gin up for effect and impeachment. Again, look at our our anxiety rate then, less than 10%, compared to just under 30% today all under a presidency that was supposed to and purports to have restored calm and order and normalcy. Now, of course, not all of this should be seen as a political condition, but it is the political conditions that seem responsible for a great deal of this. The daily rush of news events, crises we're supposed to be energized about, stories we are supposed to not take too seriously, impeachments, indictments, shutdowns, $5 regular gas prices, recessions, inflations, food prices, border Corruption, climate change, oil, abortion rights, this and abortion rights, that, transgender, debt. It's a lot. Now put the word existential or catastrophic in front of any of them or all of them. One almost wants to take the litany of decades-long events from Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire and put it all into one week these days. No wonder the depressions and anxieties. Andy Kessler at the Wall Street Journal gives us about six categories of explanation. Extinction anxiety, COVID anxiety, status anxiety, speaking anxiety, as in do I use the right words, as in pronouns or nouns like primary instead of master when talking about a bedroom. Marijuana anxiety. Interestingly, Kessler attributes the massive increase in marijuana use with the massive increase of its potency, something too few speak about. And Trump anxiety. We can break all these down, too. But I'd say there should be a Biden anxiety and that we're going through all of this and more with a president who is unwell, to put it no higher. I'd like to discuss all this with you today, but also two pieces from The Washington Post that I mentioned. One, cell phone etiquette. I loved every word of it. If you are not close friends with someone and you try and are trying to reach them, do not start it with a phone call. This has been a pet peeve of mine forever. Start with an email or a text. And in that email email or text, say what likely usually needs to be said, and usually it's that it's not urgent. A phone call, too convenient for the caller, is a clanging interruption of someone else in their day and their business, as we all have our phones with us all the time now. There's a lot about phones in here that have us on edge, including the need to constantly be checking them and constantly checking our social media feeds. That's all anxiety-inducing as well. But remember the etiquette part. If you don't know someone well and need to talk to them or want to, start with an email or text, far less intrusive. The other story in the Washington Post, Joe Biden is so unpopular right now in an ABC Washington Post poll that 10 percent more Americans have a higher view of the Trump presidency than do the presidency of 
Joe Biden at this point, and 20 percent more Republicans and Republican-leaning voters support Donald Trump than do Democrats and Democrat-leaning voters support Joe Biden. And more, Donald Trump beats Joe Biden in a head-to-head race by nine points. Here's how you know to blame the culture and the media for something. This is simply not the national narrative. The national narrative is Trump is awful and crazy and Biden is quiet, old, but just fine and better than Trump. The country was on its back, as Joe Biden puts it in 2020, and it got up on its feet and recovered in 2021. That's the generalized narrative. It's not true. And we all know it. And these conflicting messages, the image versus the reality, what we're all being told and what we all really know, all this can cause generalized anxiety disorders, too, or delusion or derealization disorders, what we know we know and what we think we're supposed to know. That can all come from social media as well, even apolitical social media, where the non-common, the non-reality, the non-workaday activity, in other words, the rare or extreme, is often the display we are forced to compare our daily, regular workaday lives to. In other words, we're living with a lot of imagery, and we're living with a lot of lies. Daniel Borston, who's a great historian and librarian of Congress, died a few years ago, once put it that we live in and through too many media-generated pseudo-events. Pseudo-events. It's an interesting word, and it's worth thinking on. Events that aren't just false, but manufactured to be more or less important than they should be. That gets us to the misprioritization, too, doesn't it? That gets us to the disorientation of news stories as well. I'd like to say some more on this on the other side of this break, a lot more about it, because I don't know how much longer a country in this state of freneticism can, in fact, go on. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. You're a, um, you're a little bit of a sadist, aren't you, young David? What, what, what? <laughs> what was that foul thing we went out with? Uh, cherished by the association. No, we're never doing that again. Never is that ever to ha- You cannot freelance if you're going to go. If we want to give oh, Terry Kirkman his due, you came in the right way with Wendy. That's fine. <laughs> well, never again will Terry Kirkman die, so, okay, there, so there's that. <laughs> all right, but God, goodness knows how many members of the association there are to go. So every time a member of the association goes does not mean we have to play that song, Cherish. By the way, I wonder if that was Carol Kay on bass, bet bass, on bass. I wonder if that was Carol Kay from the Wrecking Crew on bass. It sounded like it might have been coming in on that with that great line on, on Wendy. Uh, anyway, uh, to Mr. Kirkman, our family, our and his family, our condolences go out. Uh, died yesterday, age of eighty-three, I think it was. But no more freelancing. You picked the wrong song too many times. Daniel Burston, the great historian and librarian of Congress, once put it that we live in and through too many media-generated pseudo-events. And I think that's worth thinking on. Events that aren't just false, but manufactured to be more or less important than they should be. There are manifold genres of this. One of them, just one, but I think a big one, is the confusion of hero and celebrity. And this on a personal as much as a universal Level. Think in your personal lives of the things you see and the people you see on social media that generate excitement, emotion, or comparison. 
Are they truly and classically heroic, or are they ephemerally celebrity? Are they of the things of God, or are they of the things of fame? Are they of the things of higher and noble thought, that is to say? Higher and noble work, or are they of the transitory flash made to seem important? Interesting, a man of books, so to speak, like Daniel Borston, would focus on this and speak of pseudo-events. The root of pseudo, by the way, comes from the notion of falsely speaking of the divine. Isn't that an interesting root? Or of the important, and of course the real. The historian Bill McClay, I had him on last week, I think it was, or a week and a half ago, he puts it in the introduction to his book on American history. He writes, For the human animal, meaning is not a luxury, it is a necessity. And, as, and he says, We are put through too many meaningless rushes of events today, aren't we, though? Aren't we? And as the political philosopher Leo Strauss put it, the reading of the morning prayer has been replaced by the reading of the morning newspaper. In other words, not the focus on the big and stable and non-changing, but rather something new and unstable and changing every day. And that's the tempest we're all in right now, and it's causing the frenzy, a frenzy that is growing by the day. 27% of adults reporting an anxiety disorder. It's a lot. 18% reporting a depressive disorder. Now, thank God there's an overlap of the two. I say thank God because if they were altogether separate, that would mean nearly 50% of Americans are in some form of mental health crisis. But enough of any group can change the whole. It's an interesting argument. How much does it take to spoil? How many, you know, how many, how, how many, how many despoiled items in a, in a box or package ruins the whole thing when you look at studies on institutions, education, or be they industry or government. You know, a 5% problem can really, or 5% of the people in that institution being problematic can make it a 95% problem. It's a lot of mental health issues in this country. And that is, as I say, the tempest we're all in right now, and it's causing, as I say, a frenzy growing by the day. Frenzy leads to freneticism, abnormal state of mind. That's where it comes from. The first step in recovery, though, is admitting there is a problem. Most people know that. Do they know the second step? Second step is realizing a power greater than ourselves can restore such sanity. And uh, we need to get there pretty darn fast, really darn fast. All right, young David, did you want to say something? You look like you're boiling at a boiling point because I scolded you. <laughs> I don't I mean, I, I don't You earned to... it. You, you're going to take it as condign punishment. Is that right? <laughs> okay. This poll is an amazingly incredible poll from ABC Washington Post about Joe Biden's presidency. The idea, to repeat, the idea that more Republicans and leaning Republican voters support Donald Trump than Democrats and Democrat-leading Democrat voters support Joe Biden is itself incredible. I'll tell you why it's incredible when you also account for the fact that this poll shows in a head-to-head -head Donald Trump beating Joe Biden by a significant percentage. Do you know what that means? It means the entire argument that's been foisted at us that Donald Trump can't beat Joe Biden 
as of today, is simply not true. If you trust polls, I know there will people, be people that say they don't. But does anyone trust the notion that Joe Biden is popular? Does anyone trust Karin Jean-Pierre or Joe Biden when they say the country was on its back in 2020 and we got it standing up? I was talking to a friend of mine, smart, smart, smart guy in California today. And he was saying gas is six above $6 a gallon in California. Now, the average commute in Southern California, average, is about 50 miles to and from work, 25 each way, roughly. That's an average. That means obviously more, means some less, but that's average. You know what he said to me? Above $6 a gallon. He said, this can't work. This can't work. It can't. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do, how do people do it? You, you want to know how they're going to do it? We'll talk to Dombrowski about this probably, or at least I want to. They'll do it by blowing up their credit card debt just so they can get to work. That's what they're going to do, just to get to work. And then how long can they continue to do that? We're, 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 we're in a big problem, and, and that causes certain anxieties too, not just economic, but the notion that what you know to be true is not what your government is telling you is true. That causes certain anxieties too. There's a lot of vectors for this. There's a lot of the etiology to this. It's economic, it's political, and it's social. And we've never been in these vapors before. We're in virgin territory. We better get our oars right. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski does our culture and economy update. He's the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his uh, great, lively website uh, where you can learn more about Grand Canyon Planning and his whole family and get a good way to re- it's a good way to reach out to him as well. John, happy Monday. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Seth. Thank you. Are you doing all right? I'm doing good. Wall Street is hoping $100 oil ain't what it used to be, I see in the Wall Street Journal. Talk to me. Well, you were just, you were just talking about the yeah, prices of gas yeah, in California, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah isn't that incredible? Mm-hmm. It's yep. over and $6 on average yep. in Southern California. What was it California? Donald Trump said before he left office? It, wasn't he saying something yep. that that's what, you know, yep. that's what you're going to see? Six, yep. seven, eight dollar yep. gallon of gas. And yep. boy, he's, his prediction's coming true. Uh-huh. Yeah, he said a regular uh, gallon of gasoline averaged $3.88 across the U.S. last week. However, sure. that's an average. <laughs> sure. Across a lot of states. Across 50 states. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I've seen in Arizona, we talked about this last week, and I've seen over $5 a gallon here in Arizona, I too. I so. find below 5 in my yeah. neighborhood for eight, for the cheapest gas available. Yeah. So what's interesting is is that we're seeing it's tw- it's a 25% increase since the start of the year uh, on uh, on an average gallon of gas across the country. 25% increase. And what's interesting, when we talk about these the CPI numbers and the PPI numbers, right, the Consumer Price Index numbers, which is a, a measure of inflation, uh, it's interesting how... Uh, those numbers are calculated. The, C- it, it, the CPA, I'm, I'm reading something here, is divided into food and energy, and it's all other items, less food and energy. 
So it's interesting. So when we hear the, the measures of inflation, it's excluding food and energy. And those are two of the most, uh, you know, fastest increasing I, I, I'm costs. almost asking what else there is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is it people care about? Right. Cooling and heating their house, so fueling was, their car, and filling their stomach. Yeah, it was interesting uh, listening to some of the uh, press conference with um, – uh, the, the the press secretary yeah, today, the White House. Pierre, yeah, yeah um, and how apparently uh, President Biden is has been the most of everything. He's the best of everything. Has done the most of everything for everybody, and uh, I guess higher gas prices. They could say he's the highest gas price president as well. She should throw that one in there. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Because I couldn't believe how good he's doing, apparently, from what uh, she no was saying. No one can. This is causing, <laughs> this is causing uh, tremendous uh, disturbance in the force between what people know the li- their life is and what they're told their lives yeah. are. And, uh, and it's, it, is my friend in California right, John, that when you have over $6 gallon of gas prices— Six dollars right. a gallon of gas, for, for, and your commute is, you know, people in L.A. commute a lot, 50-mile mm-hmm. average to and from all yeah. in. He said we can't go on. He said the, they're going to start financing yeah. their going to work with mm-hmm. credit cards. Yeah, well, and this how, is— how can yeah. that take any more stress? We're at like a trillion dollars in credit card debt right now. Yeah, well, this is what the economists are fearing. The costs will push Americans to slash their spending on restaurants, travel, and other areas. And this is going to be potentially, or could create, again, uh, this— You know, we're all worried about some type of a recession. And uh, we've so far uh, bucked all of the uh, prognosticators out there, and we've been able to— you know, stay clear of a recession and have what they were all calling a soft landing. But again, when we start to see things like this happen, now it's interesting, Seth, $100 a barrel oil, is it possible that as a country we could control that a little bit better? Yeah, it is. I I think we know the answer to that. Yeah, we've done Uh, We've done, (laughs) exactly. Um, But apparently this particular uh, administration does not want to go there, right? Because they're, uh, you know, trying to cater to the the, the green energy folks. And uh, it's interesting, too, there was another article in the Wall Street Journal about um, the monies that subsidies that were going for the clean energy, um, you know, companies out there. And there's obviously the cost of even that has gone up so much. We've talked about it, that a lot of those uh, plants are not happening. And then Ford makes a big announcement today. That they're going to be stopping, uh, you know, pushing forward on a production of a plant that was going to be, uh, uh, you know, regarding their electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot going on right now that seems to be uh, changing direction from where the administration wants this country to be headed when it comes to uh, getting away from fossil fuels. It's just we all know it's not possible to be done in that short period of time that they're pushing for. Yeah. And, and Americans are depleting savings, too. Maybe yeah. we can talk a little bit about that tomorrow as well. You bet. All you right, bet. John, thanks. All right. Securities and advisory services offered to Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and that affiliated. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com, and you can request an appointment there with me. Thanks. Bless you. Thank you. Yep. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Doug is in Maricopa. Happy Monday, Doug. Happy Monday to you, too, Seth. Thank you. 
you good to, oh it's always good to hear your voice old friend it's a ritual to my day and uh always an intellectual moral and cultural base for me i always enjoy it i appreciate it oh my goodness gracious thank you yep well listen um once again um always interesting and thought-provoking in your monologue or your early uh, discussion and about mental health and i had some thoughts to this and it's going to seem like they don't relate but i think they all do because it's more than one thing that's occurring simultaneously that i think has put us in this um state uh, do do you mind if I head off on end of that? No, or? absolutely. Did you want to say anything yeah. about cell phone etiquette while you're at it, or leave that aside for now? What What did I do wrong? No, no, you didn't. I was just making no. the point that there was an article also about cell phone etiquette, and I just I, oh. yeah, there is something with cell phones and our mental health too. But we can. I'll, I'll let you do your thing, and then I'll circle back to it. Okay. All right. Well, I'd like to begin with um, it's a tale of two different approaches to the to the same problem by different countries historically. And uh, just as a quick side note that my some of my many of my early mentors when I was growing up the left does not understand this with the right. But uh our mentors and people we just admire and hold dearly and treasure um it it's not based on color or creed is based on ideas and principles because my some of my earliest uh you know mentors as i was growing in the conservative uh thought process were um you know basically milton friedman and uh you know a jewish man and dr laura remember her in the 80s a great wise woman and then dennis prager and uh, and then, of course, we have Thomas Sowell and uh, Walter Williams. And none of them, I am not in any of their categories, but yet I would say that we are closely bonded by a set of principles and ideas. And that is not how the left thinks. But in studying with them, one of the case studies that they had and I forget if it was Milton Friedman or Thomas Sowell, but it's just wonderful. After World War II, England, especially London, for the most part, the countryside was left untouched for the most part. Um, there was a fair amount of damage in his buildings leveled, especially on the east side of London, leveled and bombed, uh, you know, by the by the Luftwaffe and then later the V1 bombs uh, rockets. Okay. And England chose to, after the war, got rid of Churchill, and they chose to socialize because there was a, with the lack of housing, um, there was a tremendous pressure on society. And so, therefore, they, the typical thing, they were talking about the compassion for the poor and compassion. And everybody goes, oh, my God, we can't raise rents, and we've got to help everybody through subsidies. So they froze the rents, and they socialized. And they continued to have a housing shortage all the way up into the late 60s and early 70s, almost until when Margaret Thatcher came in. Now, Germany over there 
was destroyed and leveled. Dresden and many of the other cities were just, they were not slightly damaged. They were leveled to the earth. Berlin, there was virtually nothing left. It looked like apocalypse was going on. And so their housing shortage was uh, tenfold of England. And they took a radically different approach. They totally went raw capitalism and said, you can charge whatever you want for rent. You can, you know, you can charge whatever you want for interest and everything else. Well, then the newspapers of the day were saying how cold and ruthless these Germans are. See, they haven't changed a bit. They're heartless. They're taking from the poor. But what happened was the tremendous influx of capital from around the world. Where was the one place you wanted to invest in commercial uh, real estate? It was Germany. And literally, it went from 10 times more destruction and 10 times the housing crisis that England had to they had a glut of housing by 1956. And that what we have a glut of housing, the price of rent collapsed. And then it was by the late 50s, early 60s, rent was lower than it was, uh, you know, pre-World War II. And so you have to ask, what is real compassion? Real compassion allows the markets, if you sit on the outside and make sure everything's operating within a fair system by the rule of law, you will, in the long haul, do far greater compassion to the poor. The poor had excellent housing, new housing, beautiful parks, and they had it cheaper than the English who were living in tiny hovels old 40-year-old pieces of garbage and uh, many without plumbing and everything for 40, 30 years after the war. And so what I'm saying by that is going back to my family uh, who, who were German immigrants into this country. My grandmother was born on the top of a boat as they were, you know, in 1882. My dad had to learn German and English in a parochial school. One room, 45 kids, eight grades. They didn't worry about their feelings. He had to watch three of his brothers and sisters die from influenza in World War II, World War One. They worried about the principles of the Bible and principles of spirituality they were living by. It was more important to abide by a set of principles than it was about your feelings. And I think even Christians have fallen into, many of us have fallen into the feelings thing. And versus if you feel bad, you can do many good and great things and you'll find tremendous satisfaction and rewards. And so all of this has to do with personal responsibility because today we think of heart and compassion versus principles. And and heart and compassion doesn't solve economic problems. And heart and compassion, not always, solving spiritual and personal problems either. Well, it depends, uh, right? It depends on the rightly aimed heart and the rightly aimed compassion. I'm not at all opposed to to heart and compassion, but we have this Talmudic, uh, rabbinic Talmudic saying, uh, uh, the mercy of fools, the compassion of fools. And yeah. and yeah. and and the, that it seems to me is the suffering we live under. Let me take a quick that commercial is. break and push back. A, uh, we're probably on the same page of that point, yeah. but we need to own that again. And weirdly, 
we can't because this notion of compassionate conservatism is in such disfavor for a lot of good reasons. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it rhetorically right when we come right back. It's a lot of alliteration. Portions of the show brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. Y-Refi has an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. There are no fees, and it can give you a very high fixed interest rate. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm. As I say, it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Doug, you still there, brother? I am, and I'm totally excited about uh, what corrections you're going to be. Well, no uh, real corrections, except um, except to think of it this way. Um, You've taught me a lot of C.S. Lewis over the years, and Mm -hmm. uh, you've probably heard this one. Maybe the audience has or hasn't. Maybe a good reminder is what he writes in um, Mere Christianity when he's talking about too much talk about clocks. And he says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turn, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. That's not progress. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man of all. Um, We see this and we do arithmetic said, when I started a sum the wrong way, the sooner I admit this and go back and start over again, the faster I shall get on. There is nothing progressive about being pigheaded and refusing to admit a mistake. And if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road. And if that's so, progress is really going back. Now, you tell me what the wrong road is. Take a look at San Francisco. You see the latest out of San Francisco, by the way? This is an incredible Mm -hmm. thing. 563 fatal overdoses just this year. Right, right, right. That's going to beat last year's record. Right. Overdoses being poisoning. Um, What's the right road and what's the wrong road? Is it compassionate to let those people be there? Bill Maher was um, doing a conversation with someone the other day on his podcast, and he was saying, you know, People say, I've changed. I haven't. Liberalism is. He said, you know, I look at this homeless thing in uh, California. He goes, I remember doing homeless benefits 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We would do homeless concerts, homeless benefits. And the point was to raise money to get the homeless off the streets. I still want to do that. But if I try and do that in San Francisco or in Los Angeles, they tell me I'm invading someone's civil liberties and their bodily autonomy. They've changed, right. not me. They'd rather see them sit there and die. I got another top of the hour thing. You want to wait? You sure, got a lot. Sure. You got more in your tank. To. All right. I love talking yep, to you. Boy. All right. All you right. Bet. We'll be right back. 